Thank you for listening to Legends of Tabletop. You are listening to Leah Bond and Anya Martin. Would you care to introduce yourself, Anya? You're listening to Legends of Tabletop, and I'm Anya Martin. I'm a writer. I, uh, I guess I write weird stuff. I've done, um, recently I've had a play published called Passage from the Dreamtime from Dunham's Manor Press. I have a story in, in uh, Looming Low, uh, the new anthology from um, Dim Shores, and I will have a story upcoming in uh, Ross Lockhart's uh, Tales from the Talking Board as well, which is coming from Word Horde this fall. And I guess I have a, I published a bunch of short stories and novellas. Oh, absolutely. You're a very prolific short story writer that I've seen. And I really, uh, I, I recently got the extreme privilege to, uh, to read your most recent short story. Oh, gosh. Now, now I'm totally drawing a blank on the title here. Raving uh, Poesia Trivitata? Yes, Poesia Trivitata. And I really did appreciate that. And I can see some parallels between the story and what you are currently dealing with, uh, which I, I find a little bit amusing. And then also, it is very, very frightening to myself because you touch on one of my phobias, which is. Uh, insects and I'll just leave it at that because I don't want to give too much of it away. Oh, the box elder bugs. Well actually I'm not dealing with the box elder bugs anymore. They're gone. They mm -hmm. uh, they arrived in January and they were around for like a month or two and then they disappeared as quick as mysteriously as they appeared. Um, but it is true that they showed up in January, which is not normal. They usually, if you, uh, at least online research um, tells me that if one has a Boisea trivitata infestation, it's usually in warmer weather. But um, it is true that they, that my house was being painted and they did not like the paint. So after it was painted, they, they disappeared. Um, it was interesting because they really, as in the story, they really don't do anything. They're just sort of nuisance bugs. Yes, they they come in the house, but they don't sting you. They don't do. They're not like stink bugs that also come in the house. They they don't do anything. They just sort of wander around, or occasionally they fly, and they're just there. And so you know, I I I started sort of chronicling what they they did, and it became a short story that perhaps has a reflection on current events. Yes. Mm. With, with you having to, uh, not necessarily having to, but at that point in uh, homeownership where the home is moving ownership from you to someone else, um, that, that can be a very stressful situation. Um, let's see. And Ouija Ouija Tell Me Do, I really am looking forward to the release of this book um, and, and your short story that you have there. Uh, can, can you tell me, did you take any inspiration from uh, where you're currently at in Atlanta for this at all? Um, well, actually, the, story, the anthology is Tales from the Talking Board, and my story, uh, my story title is Ouija Ouija Tell Me Do, which is the name yes. Of a song from 1920, and no, it has the story has nothing to do with Atlanta at all. Um, in fact, I set it in Indianapolis, um, in particular because I didn't want to set to do a story in 1920 in Atlanta because I thought that that um, at this, at that length, I feel like any story in 1920 in Atlanta would have needed to acknowledge um, racial issues, and I didn't feel I could do that in that story length. Um, and also with this um, story, that doesn't mean that um, that Indiana was certainly immune from that at all. But uh, I said it, my family has roots in Indianapolis and I wanted sort of a mid-sized American city where, they, where the vaudeville circuit would go. Um, because the song, um, you can hear it online, by the way, if you search it on YouTube. And it was like a number one hit back in 1920. Oh, wow. Which was apparently one of the biggest years for Ouija. 
Uh, Ouija was insanely popular in 1920. There were mm -hmm. films about Ouija, silent movies. Um, um, everybody was doing that. And the top thing in the, uh, about your, um, uh, you know, your romance, which we don't always think of today um, as being the perhaps the question you think about contacting the spirits, but. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I, but I really, I mean, that's another one of those stories where I call, where I said to Ross, "Hey, is anybody writing about the song?" And he said, "No," and I didn't have really a clear story idea at all. <laughs> so I looked up the history of the song, tried to find out if there was anything weird. No, it was just a song, basically, to cash in on the popularity of Ouija, mm -hmm. and sung by some of the most popular vaudeville performers of the day. And one of them makes a, a cameo, the great Marie Cahill. Uh, shows yes. up in the story herself. Uh, so it's set in that vaudeville circuit, but uh, but centered around a gal who is, um, my main character's name is Orla, who has been playing with the board and is kind of in an unhappy marriage, but has a talent for singing and dancing and, uh, and, and aspirations to be in vaudeville. So I tried to extend it from there and also I thought a lot about um, about what does it mean. I didn't want to write a standard ghost story or a summoning demon story. So I, I try to think a lot about what makes the actual Ouija board move. And I did some test runs with my friend Danan. And mm -hmm. we, uh, you know, and it does move. <laughs> it moves. You put it on and, and it's like, we swear, you know, we're about the most scientific people, and it moved. And uh, so I thought about the what they call the ideometer or uh, phenomenon, which is a psychological phenomenon where a subject makes potions unconsciously, according to Wikipedia. But basically, that's the um, sort of is the scientific theory behind mm -hmm. the Ouija board, which in 1920 they wouldn't even know about that. They they would that term wouldn't exist so i tried to also bring that a bit into the story as orla loses control or kind of of her hands uh tried to try to sort of bring that in that aspect and thought about stories like um the orla uh lorla uh, by Guido Maupassant and the hands of orlac which are famous stories of people losing controls of their hands maybe that's i don't know that that tells you exactly what the story is about, but hopefully I didn't give away too much. But those were the things in my mind when writing the story, which I thought of terribly close to when I was told I had to get the story and or I was going to lose my opportunity to be in the anthology. And somehow that's when ideas happen. Yes. <laughs> but, but uh, oh, dear, oh, dear, I'm echoing. Um, I'll figure that out. I don't hear you echoing. Oh, okay. Not happening on my end. Oh, okay. Great. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, that uh, that uh, resonated with me as well. The her hands having difficulty because I I do also have a tremor in one of my hands and and I experience a, a small loss of control in one of my hands. So that that resonates with me as well um, through that story. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Uh, what, now, I remember you speaking a little about your upcoming panel that you've got coming up for the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. The, um, Gwen Callahan asked me to do a presentation on Margaret Brundage, who was um, the top cover artist for Weird Tales in the 1930s. And um, really, is probably the artist of most of the covers that are most iconic um, um, that were published in what that in Weird Tales in the uh, in the 30s. And so I'm going to put together probably some kind of a slideshow and talk a little bit better history. Um, there was Vanguard Press put out a book a few years ago about her and managed to uncover um, she was very left-wing, um, covers some personal information about her. Uh, often that it's, it's the people that are, the women that were involved with Weird Tales 
sometimes have unusual stories behind them. There's sort of an unexpected element. Um, how did this woman who was somewhat left wing and an artist uh, become the top cover artist for Weird Tales? Uh, so we're gonna have to talk a little bit about that and maybe I'll use that as a springboard to talk about some of the other women writers who are in Weird Tales. Uh, Weird Tales Among the Pulps it had perhaps a surprising number of women um, um, and uh, um, up to, I think the estimate is like over 130 women actually appeared in Weird Tales. Oh my gosh. Which is perhaps surprising. Obviously, I think that's still a small proportion across the his the entire um, sweep of writers, but it's I think it's it's higher than say with Astounding or Unknown or many of the other um, science fiction magazines of the time. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's that's very promising to hear, and I would love to hear more about that. Uh, now, do you know if there will be if the panel itself will be broadcast over YouTube uh, I, after you present it? I don't know, but uh, I'll talk to Gwen about it. And I don't know that it'll be a pad. I don't know if I got the impression that I'd be doing it on my own. Although perhaps uh, I'll end up tag teaming with somebody who's working on it with me, uh, whether it'll be a true panel um, uh, or more of a presentation. But okay. uh, I, one thing about Margaret Brundage that people may not know is that she didn't paint. She worked with pastels. Mm -hmm. And her work, if you've ever seen any of her pieces live, which I did a few years ago in an art exhibition down in Florida with a private collector, they're really powerful. The original, I mean, I'm not sure that all the originals still exist. Many um, of the, you know, many of the covers got trashed over the years, got just thrown away. But her work is, it's really quite striking when you see it. Uh, in person and the fact that it is pastels, uh, which was somewhat unexpected for me. Okay. Now, I've never gotten the opportunity to see it in person. However, uh, many of the JPEGs available uh, grace my desktop every once in a while. Um, but yes, I, I certainly was familiar with Margaret Barndage when you had mentioned her name. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Now, uh, Grass, can you tell me a little bit about Grass? I have not had the opportunity to read this yet. That's my novella from Dim Shorts. That was a limited edition novella for Dim Shorts, and it was, I think, limited to 150 copies and sold out, like, really fast. So, yes, the mine don't have copies of it, you know. Okay. <laughs> People are often, always asking me, uh, will there be another opportunity? I think there was, you know, every, like, um, say I managed to find one to donate to the Outer Dark Symposium Indiegogo, and and then there was one for sale at the um, um, at at Necronomicon. So I think mm -hmm. he, but I think I've t he's totally tapped out now. Um, but yeah, it's a novella. Uh, Sam asked me about writing something for Dim Shores, and that's what I came up with. It's set in. Um, South Georgia in the area of the Okefen. It's actually not necessarily in the Okefen Oki Swamp per se, but in that in that region. And it is, um, and basically it's, oh, I guess I should say the story behind it, the plane crash in the story is real. Mm. Uh, uh, my friend, a uh, good friend of mine, um, Terry Carter, I'm going to say her name. Uh-huh then I can tell her to listen, uh, told me uh, she had this story um, that this woman that she met told her a real life story and that she thought that perhaps I could use it in, um, in my fiction. And she told me this whole story about this plane crash, this woman's um, ex-husband and his new wife died in a small plane crash in a swamp and their bodies were found with grass basically growing through them because wow. of the impact. And I guess it, it depends on the kind of grass, but as but if your body falls from a high altitude and it falls on a certain kind of grass, um, which is 
um, prone to that area, mar certain kind of marsh grass, it will go through. So it looks like grass is growing through the bodies. And there are other details of the story and of the beginning of the story that were true to this woman's anecdote. Um, the ex-husband was an alcoholic. Um, he did say some of the things to her that I say in the story. Mm -hmm. uh, some of these, some of these aspects. Um, and then after, and then she did become responsible for his funeral um, through because I guess he didn't have other family members, which was kind of creepy uh, in that they had had a very bad divorce. Yes. So on one hand. Um, there were these aspects and then after this happened she had she thought she saw him in a mirror and wow. and uh, Terry said to me perhaps there's a ghost story in here and they said no I don't think it's a ghost story I think it's a weird story so something perhaps follows um, our heroine back to Atlanta after she goes to see the body she after she IDs the body body and um, and things happen and things got very weird. And I probably shouldn't say any more because I don't, don't like the spoiler my own story. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, also womanthology, heroic. Tell mm -hmm. us about that. That was a comics anthology that came out um, in 2012. And basically uh, it was, the, the idea was that it was going to be a, uh, a uh, uh, all women uh, comics anthology. The call went out within 24 hours. Uh, there was tons of int overwhelming interest um, in in the project, and uh, and the and and they did a Kickstarter and raised the money to pay for it. Way over raised the money, like raised over a hundred grand to put this project together. Wow. It ended up with 140 women, and I think I got into it because Steve Niles told me about it, mm -hmm. and I asked right at the very beginning. And luckily, I got paired with and with a fabulous artist, Mato Pena, and I wrote a story we called "A Stuff Bunny in Dollland," which is based on my own stuffed animals, my own oldest stuffed animals, and with a concept I already had, a much longer concept, and they really whittled it down, the essence of it, to four pages, and Mato did this incredible artwork to, um, to go with it. I think it's still available online. Um, you can still get copies. It's, it's an incredible book, especially if you have a, a young woman in your life who is an aspiring comics artist. It was... The idea was that it would be inspirational and encouraging to young girls and young women uh, to who were interested in being writing or illustrating comics, and it it um, it even has how-to stuff at the end and interviews with top uh, female um, comics creators. Mm -hmm. um, this was I should add this was the brainchild of Renee Beliz, um, who I. Uh, who has done a number of projects, most recently um, The Last Unicorn um, graphic mm -hmm. novel. And she, uh, it, this was just her idea. It's sort of in the same way that Sylvia Moreno-Garcia came up with the idea of doing the project on Lovecraft's, uh, uh, on women writers writing about Lovecraft's, the women in Lovecraft's fiction, uh, mm -hmm. something that just came out of an internet discussion. And then she put, put a call out and the people who, who ended up in it were often, you know, were the people that were were the women who moved fast on this, and it was really a very inspirational, like that book, um, like sh um, she walks in shadows. It was a really, um, really inspirational project. And afterwards, we went to uh, for that whole summer. We were going to comic shows and presenting it. I went to three. I went to Heroes Con in North Carolina. I went to San Diego Comic Con, and Motto actually got a. Uh, scholarship from DeviantArt and was able to meet me there. So we um, so we hung out together and got to meet each other. And uh, she's based in Barcelona. Yeah. And and then I did New York Comic Con. So it was kind of like a very rock and roll tour during the summer. I'm not sure that it changed anything in comics. Comics is really a very difficult medium for women. Um, but I think it did open a lot some doors and, and give some encouragement and was still just a hell of a great project. Yeah, speaking of comic 
Uh, you're also the co-author of Still Life with Peckerwood. Uh, oh, that's a story I did a long time ago. That's not comics. That was oh, that was okay. Inspired by that was a I, I see that the Nancy Collins did uh, mm -hmm. edited um, back uh, back in like the nineties about um, which was inspired. Gay, uh, Gay and Wilson did yes. illustrations for it. Uh, um, a haunted mansion, and we and uh, we were assigned a room and. And uh, the story is actually—it's funny you mention that story because it was inspired by the poet Thomas Hully Shivers, who mm -hmm. accused Poe of plagiarism. So, then, and I just did a, an article—I just wrote an article about Thomas Hully Shivers for the Outer Dark Symposium Program book, and for the Atlanta Journal Constitution magazine in town at. Um, Living in Town, which was, I did a feature on cemeteries and, and talked about Thomas Tully Shivers' grave uh, for, um, uh, and that came out just last Sunday, so it's funny you mentioned that. But oh Thomas Tully Shivers was a resident, was a poet, he's often known as the lost poet of Georgia. His poetry was very similar to Poe's, mm -hmm. and um, I think there is some reasonable suggestion that Poe took some of his ideas whether he's not at all the level of poet of, as, as Poe, but it's like Poe improved probably on his uh, on on his um, on its rhythm and his language. <laughs> but I, it's 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 a very interesting story um, that, and I'll, I probably will take that essay that was in the Outer Dark Symposium and put it online at some point. Okay, uh, in our program book for. For that, but but yeah, that story, that particular short story, was based on Thomas Holly Shivers and the concept that he was trapped inside a painting um, at this house and and going off by a Decatur off of a Decatur Georgia legend that he requested at the end of, of when he died that he be buried under his front stoop so his um, beautiful younger bride, younger wife, would not remarry basically to haunt her and so <laughs> so and, and that isn't precisely true but and she wasn't actually all that much younger than him but he did request that he be buried really near the near the front door so she'd have to visit him every day <laughs> and he's oh, been moved gosh. to Decatur Cemetery now which is why I ended up writing about it for the Lanner Journal Constitution but yeah that's the story behind that story um, people don't bring it up all that much, but it's uh, you can still find it on find that anthology online. Uh, people bring it to me to sign every once in a while. Now, speaking of strange things, um, I can't help but notice the toe. Oh yeah, Dynatox. Oh man, and the feet anthology. <laughs> That's the grossest story I've ever written. <laughs> um, I have I have yet to read it. Naughty me, um, but it's only four pages. It's like also the shortest thing practically I've ever read. <laughs> but yeah, I I couldn't help but notice the photo that you took of your. I'm guessing it's yourself in some pointed show, toe shoes. I don't know which picture are you talking about. Something on. Um, it's something on on Facebook uh, where you're wearing. I think it's you wearing pointed toe high heel shoes. I might be, but there's no shoes in that story. Oh. <laughs> there's no shoes in that story. It's nothing to do with shoes. No. Oh. It's literally what it says it's about. Okay. All and, right. And it's pretty gross. <laughs> um, all right. Um, oh, goodness. <sighs> Where, where was I going to go next? Oh, Dark Destinies 3, The Devil's March. Oh, that you're really going back in the past. You didn't warn me about that. Oh, uh, yes. That's like really old stuff that I, uh, I would consider those stories are really like a different generation compared mm -hmm. to what I write now. Uh, I, uh, uh, that story was a, uh, it, it was ba it was really a theme anthology. Those were things for White Wolf, and they were theme anthologies that came out the time. That story idea is my story idea, um, but it's uh, it the idea was like 
what's the craziest idea we can come up with? Oh, General Sherman burned Atlanta to get rid of vampires. <laughs> and then I, I researched Oakland Cemetery and discovered that there was a portion time, or there's at least a story that the, that the Union soldiers dug up Confederate graves. So is that why they dug up Confederate graves? Anyway, I wrote it. We, it was planned as epistolary in the same concept as Dracula. The, you, the story, this theme of the anthology was children of Dracula. So you're supposed to tie it in with the White Wolf game, but I never really, you didn't have to really. So the story realized nothing to do with Vampire the Mask. Great. But the idea was that you, you were supposed to bring in Dracula. And the idea was that Dracula was going to come to the American South it's before he was going to go to England, and um, uh, and, and so the reason he ended up going to England partly is because that fell through, and what happened. And I put General Sherman into the Van Helsing role, um, and there are some other characters, and P.T. Barnum figures in it. It's an interesting concept. I have thought about going back to that. I've thought of a framing device, and so forth, but I'm just not really interested at this moment in writing about the Civil War. I think uh, I think it's, it's, it's certainly in any way that idolizes um, the South or in, in any way. And certain that I don't think that story did. That story, all the heroes were Union, but um, it didn't really come face to face with slavery and stuff. It was I, I, if I was going to write something now, I would. I would be more concerned with with um, slavery and the consequences of the Civil War. But it was a fun story to write. It was an interesting story to write. And maybe, and I, you know, maybe one day at the framing, I do have a framing device if I wanted to return to that concept. But, okay. but anyway, it was, I, I don't know, it's a sad uh, Said these story, these old stories uh, are really not story. They're not really very <laughs> reflective of what I write now. Maybe still, like Packerwood is is still has some relevance to today. But okay, Let, let's jump forward a little bit closer to present day. Uh, old Sahov and Casilda's song, released oh. by Chaosium, edited by Joe Pulver. Um, can can you tell us a little bit about that one? Well, that, yeah, well, that story is, it's, it's, um, I, the idea was, you know, Joe Pulver approached me to write a story um, inspired by, um, uh, or riffing off of um, the King in Yellow um, stories of Robert W. Changers, Chambers, and I, um, and I thought, thought about writing something very different, and in fact, something that would riff off of what of my play Passage to the Dreamtime originally. But that yeah. didn't really uh, pan out. So uh, as I was thinking of ideas, I began to think a lot about Old Yeller. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and really, uh, that story um, is comes very out uh, old Zatov is uh, Zatov is basically old yeller <laughs> except for in Hebrew yeah. and uh, there was this dog in my neighborhood that used to attack my dog oh. I, I mean literally it just run from like balls away and this crazy dog he was an Israeli dog um um he really should never have been brought to the United States. He was, uh, the woman who owned him told me that he's a, um, um, that she, uh, that he followed her home in Jerusalem when he was maybe like eight months, less than a year old. And so in the story, the dog does do that. <laughs> the dog mm -hmm. follows a woman home, follows Casilda. Um, and I, I began to think about this dog and, and, and the story, this dog was somewhat crazy, but it loved its people. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it was somewhat crazy. <laughs> it was definitely somewhat off. And, and it would like, she told me that it, it had like literally broken the glass on the back of the house. that story comes from um, my dog only makes a quick cameo in the story 
uh, it's it's really more about that dog. And I get some, maybe I get some empathy for this dog that was like attacked my dog uh, in there. But, and also I, I guess Jerusalem is also known as the city of gold. So I thought about Carcosa and, yes. uh, you know, and the king in yellow and, and, and saw some parallels with Jerusalem. Some people don't like that story because they say it's too far away from the actual um, mythos of the king in yellow. But I tried, what I was trying to do was do something tone, uh, consistent in tone um, and theme, but thematic, but I was not trying. I really don't have much interest in writing stories in other uh, people's universes, which is why I'm not really writing, you know, Lovecraft's craftian stories per se mm -hmm. the stories that i've written that are anything near that are just very tangentially so okay well and i i'm going to take a moment right now to interject very briefly uh, to bring us a word from our sponsors uh, small batch craft coffee roaster birds of a feather coffee company and they do roast unique craft coffees in small batches so that it's always fresh. Their signature blends showcase the amazing breadth and depth of flavors that coffee has to offer. The Night Owl blend, for example, is a rich, deep cup of coffee with notes of smooth caramel, decadent cocoa, and bittersweet molasses with just a touch of acidity to clean the palate so you're ready for the next sip. Check out all of the Bird's Coffees and order now at www.birdscoffeecompany.com. There's a brew for every birdie at birdscoffeecompany.com. And don't forget to use the codes LEGENDS10 for a 10% discount. LEGENDS10 for a 10% discount. And thank you so much, Anya. Um, and with the uh, old Sahab, we're gonna we're gonna transfer over to the passage to the dream time from Dunham's Manor Playhouse. Um, would you care to share a little bit about that? Sure. That is actually one act play, and I wrote most of it in college. It was workshopped in a at a playwriting class, and when I say that, it was workshopped with actors, and and so we we really worked on the script to make sure that. It, it, you could actually read it, you know, perform it to some extent. So it was a really great opportunity. Uh, when I was young, um, when I was a kid, kid, I wrote plays all the time. That's all I ever did is I wrote plays. I was always writing a play, and some of them were performed. Um, but this is actually the last play I've written. I've not really written plays as an adult um, other than this play. And I, um, at the time, I we were in, we were, for part of the class, we were, um, has to assign to um, part of the assignment was to submit it to a contest. So I submitted it to the Great American Play Contest, which everybody does, and of course I didn't win. And then it went in a drawer. But but I, it's so not the Great American Play, although it's timely perhaps today in a way that I didn't anticipate when D Jordan and I first talked about um, publishing it. I I thought it it. it it was funny because when I was talking to Joe Pulver about, um, I, I actually worked with Joe on another project which related to um, to the King in Yellow. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, gosh, this play, it again, it's not a King in Yellow. Um, you know, the Chaosium is not in there. None of that. Uh, Chaosium, excuse me, Carcosa. Um, I slipped out. That was like a bad slip. Oh, um, it's okay. Care in, uh, but but there were elements in there, and there was um, a thing with yellow paint, which I won't say anything more about. But the idea, okay. the concept, what came out of a class, a senior level seminar I took on um, at Smith College on uh, on Nazis on, on it was an anthropology seminar, but I did a paper on. Nazism is a millenarian movement as a sort of a, you know, millenarian movement looks towards the golden age. And these kinds of movements take place in times when society is somewhat destabilized and people are looking back to the past with this idea of sort of an ideal society and sometimes with elements of mysticism. And it's set in Nuremberg prison right after the war 
with a Nazi officer and an American woman comes back to who was a jazz singer in Paris during the occupation and had an affair with him, um, comes back to see him and sort of confront what he did because her whole concept of him, she never observed him doing the crimes that he did, war crimes. Um, and she thought of him as an art as an artist. And he's in prison doing this artwork, which has been recreated amazingly by Kim Bo Young. Uh, Kim uh, the uh, the art in it, I mean, really, I would tell you to buy the book for Kim's artwork. Um, Where can uh, we buy it? Well, you can buy it from Dunham's Manor uh, Press online. Um, you can uh, just go on, uh, you can just Google Dunham's Manor Press and the, and you should be able to find it really easily. It's it's not expensive. You'll I think it's still on sale for $5 plus postage and handling, which for a quality chapbook like this it's crazy it's like a crazy cheap price it's limited to 150 copies uh nice. kim's artwork is she, she did both the cover the back cover and all the interior artwork and it's it's again not directly illustrated um, to the to what's going on in the play it's meant to be to reflect the art that um franz is is producing in prison as he goes mad um and it's called Passage to the Dreamtime because he, um, well, something happens that is inspired by um, by the Australian con Aboriginal concept of the Dreamtime um, is a thematic element in this, as but it is through the lens of a white man who has read about. <laughs> not okay. it's not meant to be from the perspective of I mean whereas we're challenging you're challenging your level your comfort level with a lot of different things um, which might be appropriate in the America of today uh, yeah. where we are having a dialogue about fascism and um, and whether and how you can feel how you should feel about people who do terrible things or, or wish terrible things among, among other people very timely indeed um but yeah um moving on to again we can find that at dunham's manor playhouse google that and i believe it's on sale uh do 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 and uh let's look for boisea tributata looming low uh, again that's through dim shores and let's see ouija ouija tell me do uh, Tales from a Talking Board, edited by Ross Lockhart, and that's coming out in the next couple of weeks, I believe, in yeah. October. Any specific date in October that it'll I be available it, to ship? I think it's the end of October when it's actually shipping, but he, but you'll have to ask Ross, but I have a feeling there may be some copies at, at HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Excellent. And I'll be in Pataluma at the opening event for that, the opening uh, readings at the end of the last Friday in October, too. Excellent. Um, and Blackstone Roses and Granite Gazanias in Manted Magazine. Um, can, can we talk a little bit about that one? Uh, sure. I, that's another one of my older stories that I, uh, it's sort of been, it's one of those stories that I, it's kind of like an orphan story that I submitted a lot of places, but people don't seem to really get. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, I really, Farrah Smith, I, um, I am very grateful to her for understanding the story. There are others, I've had much encouragement from uh, like Selena Chambers and uh, Damian Angelica Walters encouraged me not to give up on that story to keep mm -hmm. sending it out. But it's it's uh, it's kind of like I don't want to call it postmodern. That's kind of like a dirty word, but mm -hmm. but it's 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 a story about a girl that you know a young woman that kind of idolizes you know a lot of of romanticized concepts of like well gargoyles and evil you know in a way that is perhaps not very healthy and mm -hmm. and then sort of gets her wish come to, <laughs> coming true and and it's also concept you know it's like perhaps there's a little bit of commentary on romance and especially 
um, sort of how we view that when we're a lot younger, uh, when we're too young to know better. And maybe yeah. maybe it isn't really all that great to, uh, <laughs> to fall for that dark, handsome kind of kind of brooding um, brooding guy because he might really be not be a very nice person. Uh, yeah. But in this case, it's a gargoyle um, that comes down for, that comes alive off of Notre Dame Cathedral, um, and there's like an enchantment and some also some other historical commentary. And it is absolutely not a deal with the devil story, even though it was once suggested to me that it was. <laughs> I, I, that was a surprise to me, even though there is a deal, possibly. <laughs> well, uh, I, I believe this is still available for purchase through Amazon. Uh, Manted Magazine, I believe that is the summer 2016 issue. Yeah still available through Amazon. Um, and let's see, the Prince of, the Prince of, Prince of Lies. Yeah. L-Y-G-H-E-S. Yes, yes. That was in Cthulhu of Photogen, mm -hmm. um, um, edited by Ross Lockhart. It was my first, was that, no, that was my second sale to Ross uh, for Word Horde. I've been in four Word Horde anthologies now, so. Uh, that was a story that I came up with the idea while listening to Peter Straub read at a, <laughs> at a world horror convention and somewhere out of that I think he and Molly Tanzer were reading stories that were inspired by Lovecraft. There's not a lot of Lovecraft in that story but it was like wow well, I've never written a story that actually has um, a Lovecraftian element and that is the story that uh, <laughs> does mm -hmm. although I did write the story for Resonator later um, um, Resonator Superstar yeah, yeah that's a, a different story but uh, but this one it's it's uh, it's it's one out a gal you know trapped in a terrible terrible relationship and with a, with a guy who's getting stuff in the mail Ooh. except for it isn't necessarily what he says it is and uh, she finds out, you know, like like as with Bluebeard's wives, she goes and peeks and in the where she's not supposed to, and discovers something terrible. Yes, the temptation sometimes is just too great. Uh, Sensoria, uh, Giallo Fantastique, uh, another word horde anthology from Ross. Um, would you care to share anything about that? Yeah, um, it's actually pronounced Sensoria, which oh. is hard to, no, don't worry about it. Sensoria is actually a song by Cabaret Voltaire, too, although I didn't actually uh, name it after that song uh, necessarily. Uh, I was trying to rip off of Suspiria. Giallo Fantastic, this is my first sale to Ross, and Giallo Fantastic was a Giallo-themed anthology. And this story is, is again, it's like a rehab science fiction story that I wrote back in, at first draft in like 89, 90. And, I and uh, it was published in a, the first draft is very different from this. It had a techno technological element, which is now replaced by a, uh, by a hallucinogenic insect. <laughs> uh, apparently that's what was needed for this story uh, to make it work. But, um, but the concept is that it's set in the world of, um, uh, rock music and giallo the the theater um, theatrics and um, there are some real life settings in there that I experienced um, to in one form or another the but you basically you, when you listen to a song and you take this and you put this insect in your mouth and you'll bite down it though um, things happen and I don't want to say too much about the story, except it was a lot of fun to write. And it was fun to take this old story and really try to rehab it and make it into something just different enough um, that it, it would sell. So I'm really happy actually it didn't sell, although when it was first published, um, I am very grateful to Lawrence Watts Evans for, uh, for uh, encouraging me to uh, to write and then he really was a drill champion of the original version of the story which appeared in science fiction randomly go find that up it's called something else uh, yeah, go find that uh, issue it's like an obscure uh, um, fanzine published in Florida but a very good fiction 
science fiction um, zine published in the late um, 80s. Oh gosh, yeah, because I'm trying to, to scour this text really quickly, um, which I don't think that the only thing that I see regarding optimistic science fiction uh, would be the courage of the lion tamer. What do you mean the only thing that you see? Well, I was going to say, the Courage of Lion Tamer is is free online, and it is uh, an anomaly among my stories. It is an optimistic science fiction story. Um, uh, Yetzi Devray, who was the uh, uh, editor of Inner Zone, uh, mm -hmm. set out a, threw down a gauntlet to science fiction writers to write a um, to write an optimistic science fiction story because he felt that everything he was reading was so dystopian. Mm -hmm. um, he um, and I, I. That that became the um, this the submissions became the anthology Shine. Um, my story didn't make it into Shine, but it but he did this online magazine that went for a period of time afterwards, and I was paid actually really really well for that story, which I, um, so it's a really it was a fun story to write, and it's about lions in Africa and uh, and maybe a way that that it's about animal conservation and it has a kind of it's it's got a sadness to it but also an optimistic alter, optimistic um suggestion for what might happen to save animal species from becoming extinct um, very timely yeah so i i mean i'm curious people find it every once in a while it always excites me when somebody reads it and tells me about that story and that story actually uh, <coughs> Excuse me. It's the one that um, when Joe Pulver asked me, because um, I hadn't been published that much for Casol, you know, um, a story sample before inviting me to Casolda Song. That's what I sent to him, and and so it got me the invitation to Casolda Song as well. That's awesome. Um, now, is there is there anything else that you have coming up in the pipeline that we should be aware of? Um, well, I have a lady box, um, I, um, zine, um, uh, flash fiction piece, mm -hmm. uh, which is, um, uh, I did something they're doing every year. They do, uh, do a fun, um, uh, some kind of like fun, fun, um, anthology that, and this year I made it in, I watch, I haven't submitted before, but, um, there were three, it's like, it's called Zine Trilogy, and I made it into the, what, bands that my ex, that your exes ruined for you. <laughs> uh, and uh, my, all I'll tell you is my flash fiction piece is called Surrender. So, oh. you um, you'll either know immediately who the band is, or you <laughs> won't, but if you know the song, you, uh, that should be a pretty big clue. So that's coming out. Um, I have other things that I'm working on right now, but I, I don't, I hope to have an announcement about a collection very soon, short stories, but I'm, it's still too soon for me to announce um, oh. anything. I mean, other than that, I'm an um, associate producer on the Outer Dark podcast that Scott Nicolay hosts, uh, so I write all the, the notes for that, and I am... Um, yeah, notes for that and I do the beta listens and I help coordinate a lot of stuff to do with that and we will be doing an Outer Dark Symposium again next spring uh, and probably in San Jose, California. We'll be making an announcement soon. Um, Exciting. Yeah, so I think that's, I do my, my blog, atlretro.com, although mm -hmm. Melanie Crew writes most of it now, but it still exists. And if you come to Atlanta, we'll tell you things to do that nobody else will tell you, um, fun stuff. And, uh, and I'm also working on some other nonfiction projects and some short stories. Uh, I really, I don't like to jinx things ahead of time. There'll be some, but let's just say that they'll, they're, I'm working on some original pieces that for, um, for a co for my collection okay. as well. Um, with, without further ado then, I will shift into the, uh, what we call here at Legends, the final five. Um, let's see, video game or tabletop games? 
Which one do you prefer? Oh God, I don't even have time to play games, but I guess I, <laughs> I probably, I, if I had time to play games, I probably am more likely to play tabletop and I'm gonna be like very old school. I'm probably gonna be playing some board game that nobody plays anymore but me. Which one was your favorite? Oh God, um, which one's my favorite? You really got me on the spot. I'll tell you <laughs> one that's super cool though, that from when I was a kid and it's Uncle Wiggly. It has the best artwork. The 1920 Uncle Wiggly and the early 60s Uncle Wiggly. They, it has monsters. I mean, mm. it has really weird creatures. It has these cards, you know, you go a certain, certain, um, a certain number of steps and then you draw cards and has it's just like the weirdest game um so i highly recommend uncle wiggly and i'll be gladly play it with anyone anytime <laughs> um okay uncle wiggly then uh for games uh star wars star trek or for those that like neither of the previous selections dune which one? Oh god are you actually doing the movie the book series. Oh, the book series. Oh, don't put me on the spot on this. Um, I mean, I don't really like, I mean, I was, Star Wars changed my life when I was, when I was much younger. It literally did change my life. So I, I owe something to Star Wars that I can't even say, but that was Star Wars, the original <laughs> movie, not mm -hmm. the, that they now want to call A New Hope. Not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so probably, but Dune also was an incredible read. I read Dune probably right after I saw Star Wars, and um, and I and I like Star Trek. I really can't. I I, I don't know that those are quite. <laughs> I I those aren't my favorite things, but they've all had important places in my in my evolution. Okay. Um, which one is your favorite then? What what should we take a look at? What should you take? What is my favorite? Are sure. You, oh God, I don't even science know. fiction. Yeah. Are what we talking about books, films, or don't uh, you got to do film? Let's narrow it down to like science fiction film. Yeah, horror or something else, but actual science fiction film. Oh. This becomes difficult. Um, I might talk. Well, I Blade Runner probably. Maybe. Okay. If I had to like name one film that's a desert island film that's science fiction, it would be Blade Runner. Okay. Um, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? <sighs> one superpower. Um, I don't know. It'd be something like, like probably stamina. <laughs> to be able to keep going. Keep going. I, I'm pretty good at keeping going, but to keep going and not get tired is and be able to get everything done that I'd like to get done would probably be the one thing that would be most important to me right now. That I, would, want, I want to get done. Yeah. <laughs> Things that interfere with that. So uh, so it'd be nice to not have to sleep or something. Um, so I like sleep too. I do like sleep. <laughs> Marvel or DC? Uh, I would say that I'm probably more Marvel uh, because of the X-Men and, uh, but I'm not really contemporary Marvel, but I really did appreciate the X-Men as time, though when I was growing up, my dad bought me DC Comics, um, Tarzan, Joe Cooper, Tarzan. Mm -hmm. uh, not the, So I have to say that I, for superheroes, definitely uh, Marvel, but for but I do have a special affection for Joe Covert's Tarzans. Um, okay. As problematic as Tarzan is, because just because my dad bought that for me, and love and his love Opar was really fantastic with red hair and everything. Um, <laughs> she was like a real role model for me. Awesome. Uh, science fiction or fantasy? Uh, weird fiction. <laughs> Okay. Or word fiction or horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Is that okay? That is absolutely fine. Um, what job, not, not to say that you don't have this job already, but what job, if you were offered it, would make you immediately drop everything you're doing to say yes to? Um, 
I don't know, writing a fiction writing job that paid well. <laughs> a fiction writing job that you know um, that that had like some kind of a had a really great advance um, that would allow me to do um, to be able to fund the other projects that I'd like to do. Anything that has to do with writing fiction rather than nonfiction. Okay, because I've I've spent most of my life writing nonfiction, so I, I'm going to dive over into another area. Music question. What album can you listen to all the way through without skipping a single track? Probably quite a few. Um, uh, let me think. I mean, right now, lately, I uh, just re-listen one album that I just love that I've always, The Dreaming by Kate Bush. And mm -hmm. oh, I, just, I just sort of have rediscovered that album lately, but it's, every song is fantastic on that, that album. I think it's her strongest album in her career. Um, let's see. Let's go meta. What question do you want to be asked? What question do you wish I would have asked you? Oh, uh, well, there was one, there's one story that's special to me that you didn't actually ask me about. That is perhaps the story that's the most special to me of any that I've written. And that's a girl and her dog, which is fairly hard. You'll be able to get it when I have a collection again, but it was in, um, Exnoibus uh, number two. Yeah. That story is a very personal story to me. It, it took a while to find the right market for it. And in a way, I felt like that's the story that has the example, is the example when I talk about how the markets have changed and evolved. Um, because that story stayed essentially the same, um, but took a long time to find a home. And yet, every time I, anybody read, I won't say every time, but a lot of people read it. I read it aloud. And I got an incredible reception because any I see that story because if you've ever lost uh, a dog or cat, um, an animal dear to you, um, that story, I mean, that story is really about that resonating. And it. And I wrote it after several years after my first dog died. Um, and I had other dogs at that point. But so it's not about... A lot of people know I've most I recently had a dog named Max. It's not about Max, um, though certainly it resonates with me. Um, and it's not a response to Harlan Ellison's A Boy and Her Dog. <laughs> I don't know why I'm coughing um, explicitly either. Um, but it is very much a girl and her dog because a girl and her dog story is a, is a very different story from um, A Boy and His Dog. Yes. And I guess all I would say is that story just is a really, if I had to say there's one story that epitomizes my style or has something that's just really special to me, uh, it's that story. And I do look forward to hopefully seeing it back in print again. Now, is there anywhere that we can currently get this? If so, or... I don't know if Zynoibus, if there are copies left. If there's copies mm -hmm. left of Zynoibus too, then you can get it at Dunham's Manor. From Dunham okay. Manor Press, and I there were some copies left recently, but I haven't looked on the website to see if if they're still available. Oh, okay. It was limited to like a hundred copies or some fairly small print run, as Dunham's Manor books generally are. Um, it's a very they're very high quality, but if you um, don't get them quickly, you can you can miss your opportunity as you can with a Dim Shorts book. Okay. Now, uh, I, I did, speaking of Dim Shores, I did miss the opportunity to pick up a copy of Looming Low, and I do regret that. Um, but is there anything else that you would like to add before I wrap up for the evening? Um, just thank you for interviewing me and having an interest in my work. Uh, you, you definitely did your homework. Coming up with some stuff that is really way back in in my history. Uh, uh, maybe somebody will go looking look for those stories now and then and give me their thoughts about them. Um, as I said, the Courage of Lion Tamer is free online. You just you can go to my website anyamartin.com and find the link to that. And and that's actually my bibliography on that website at anyamartin.com is should be complete. And you can find out how to order their link, order links for everything that is available. Okay, great. At that, uh, in the bibliography section. 
and, and that is anyamartin.com, A-N-Y-A-M as in Mary, A-R-T as in Thomas, I-N as in Nancy.com. Thank you very, very much for your time, Anya, and I greatly appreciate it. Um, before I sign off for the evening, thank you all for joining us, and I look forward to speaking with you all again, and have a wonderful evening, Anya. Thank you, Leah. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.